Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Welcome to the Fortis Q2 2021 conference call and webcast. During the call, all participants will be in a listen-only mode. There will be a question and answer session following the presentation. At that time, those with questions should press star followed by one on their telephone. If at any time during the conference you need to reach an operator, please press star zero. At this time, I would like to turn the conference over to Stephanie Amimo. Please go ahead, Ms. Amimo. Thanks, Phyllis, and good morning, everyone, and welcome to Fortis's second quarter 2021 results conference call. I'm joined by David Hutchins, President and CEO, Jocelyn Perry, Executive VP and CFO, other members of the senior management team, as well as CEOs from certain subsidiaries. Before we begin today's call, I want to remind you that the discussion will include forward-looking information which is subject to the cautionary statement contained in the supporting slideshow. Actual actual results can differ materially from the forecast projections included in the forward-looking information presented today. All non-GAAP financial measures referenced in our prepared remarks are reconciled to the related U.S. GAAP financial measures in our second quarter 2021 MB&A. Also, unless otherwise specified, all financial information references in Canadian dollars. With that, I will turn the call over to David. Thank you and good morning, everyone. The underlying long-term fundamentals of our company remain strong in the second quarter. We continue to see growth from our investments in our regulated utilities, maintained reliable service through severe weather events across our footprint, effectively managed the safety of our employees, customers, and communities, even during this pandemic, and started to see the green shoots of economic recovery across our jurisdictions. This solid foundation allows us to withstand and see through headwinds like the impacts of foreign exchange volatility. Today, we also issued our 2021 sustainability update, which can be found on our website. The report highlights our our priorities and progress on sustainability initiatives. Additionally, we announced that Fortis has signed on as a supporter of the Task Force for Climate-Related Financial Disclosures, or TCFD. With the easing of pandemic restrictions and the corresponding reopening of businesses, and with a little help from warm weather, our second quarter sales have improved from last year. While uncertainty remains surrounding the pandemic, increased commercial and industrial activity contributed to an overall increase in sales across our portfolio of utilities. As you may recall, UNS and our other electric segment have the most exposure to changes in sales. Favorable weather in Arizona and higher commercial and industrial sales contributed to a 3% increase in retail sales at UNS. For our other electric segment, sales were up 3% for the quarter, mainly driven by the ongoing recovery of the tourism industry in the Caribbean. Turning to slide six, the 2021 sustainability update details the progress we are making to support a cleaner energy future. Notably in 2020, we reduced our scope one emissions by 15%, equating to removing over 400,000 vehicles from the road in just one year. This marks measurable progress towards our target to reduce carbon emissions 75% by 2035 compared to 2019 levels. Transitioning to renewables and building out the grid is at the heart of our long-term strategy. Our update also highlights that in 2020, we achieved our best safety performance and delivered top quartile reliability performance relative to our industry peers. And it also includes 50 new key performance indicators of which 14 align with the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board or SASB. We are pleased to report another step in our ESG journey by expanding our disclosures and solidifying our commitment to the TCFD recommendations by signing on as a supporter. We are continuing our climate scenario analyses to assess the resiliency of our energy delivery businesses, and we expect to provide a progress update in 2022. 
As slide eight highlights, nearly all of our 19.6 billion five-year capital plan supports energy delivery and cleaner energy infrastructure. Through the first half of 2021, we made capital investments of $1.7 billion in our systems. And for the full year, our $3.8 billion capital plan remains on track. This balanced, low-risk plan supports our sustainability strategy and includes renewable generation such as wind, solar, and battery storage, interconnections of renewables, and liquefied natural gas and renewable natural gas investments. The capital plan is expected to increase rate base by 10 billion from 30.5 billion in 2020 to over 40 billion in 2025, supporting average annual rate base growth of approximately 6% through 2025. Slide nine, beyond our base capital plan, our teams continue to push forward with opportunities to expand and extend growth at our regulated utilities for the benefit of our customers. Since we covered this topic extensively last quarter, I will briefly discuss a few recent developments. First, at ITC, the proposed Lake Erie Connector transmission project continues to progress. In May, the Ontario government authorized the Independent Electric System Operator, or ISO, to enter into contract negotiations. We are in the early stages of negotiation, and the ISO is expected to report back to the government by the end of the year. Earlier this month, FERC issued an advanced notice of proposed rulemaking to solicit comments on regional transmission planning, cost allocation, and generator interconnection processes. Overall, it's encouraging to see the Commission's recognition that substantial investments in transmission infrastructure are needed to facilitate a lower carbon future, and our teams are actively engaged in these processes. Lastly, at Fortis, BC, reducing customer greenhouse gas emissions continues to be a priority. Recently, British Columbia amended their greenhouse gas reduction regulations to allow the increase in the production and use of renewable natural gas as well as hydrogen in the province. The revised regulation will advance the production and distribution of renewable natural gases and hydrogen that will utilize our existing natural gas infrastructure to reduce emissions and decarbonize our economy. With 47 consecutive years of dividend increases, coupled with our low-risk growth strategy, we remain confident in our 6% average annual dividend growth guidance through 2025. Now I will turn the call over to Jocelyn for an update on our second quarter financial results. Thank you, David, and good morning, everyone. For the quarter, adjusted net earnings was $259 million, or 55 cents per common share, one cent lower than the second quarter of 2020. Foreign exchange was a significant impact in the quarter. The U.S. dollar to Canadian dollar exchange rate was 1.23 for the quarter, compared to 1.39 for the second quarter of 2020. And this unfavorably impacted quarterly results by five cents. So excluding foreign exchange impacts, earnings per share was four cents higher, mainly driven by our rate-based growth at our regulated utilities and higher earnings in Arizona and the Caribbean. For the six months ended June 2021, adjusted net earnings was $619 million, or $1.32 per common share, nine cents higher than the same period in 2020. And this growth was despite the FX impact of seven cents year to date. Excluding the FX impacts, earnings per share increased 16 cents, reflecting the same factors noted for the quarter, as well as some timing of earnings on retirement investments. Slide 13 highlights EPS drivers for the quarter by segment. Our U.S. electric and gas utilities increased EPS by three cents for the quarter. Our Arizona business contributed two cents, driven by new rates at Tucson Electric Power, effective January 2021, and warmer weather. June was actually, in fact, one of the hottest June months on record in Arizona. Earnings in Arizona were tempered by higher plan maintenance costs, primarily at Springerville. In New York, Central Hudson increased EPS by a cent, driven by rate-based growth and lower operating costs incurred related to the pandemic as compared to last year. 
And at ITC, rate-based growth mainly contributed to a two-cent increase in EPS for the quarter. The two-cent EPS increase in our other electric segment reflects higher sales in the Caribbean with the continued recovery of the tourism industry. At corporate, EPS decreased two cents, mainly due to a higher consolidated state tax rate associated with changes in regional sales mix. And higher weighted average shares outstanding issued through our dividend reinvestment program decreased EPS by one cent. And as discussed, a lower U.S. dollar to Canadian dollar exchange rate unfavorably impacted the quarterly results by five cents. And although not depicted on the slide, earnings for our Western Canadian utilities were flat for the quarter. Rate-based growth in both Alberta and British Columbia was tempered by the timing of operating expenses at Fortis, B.C., associated with the multi-year rate plan decision last year. Overall, strong quarter despite foreign exchange headwinds. Turning to slide 14, this waterfall breaks down the EPS drivers for the first half of 2021. Our U.S. electric and gas utilities provide the most significant contributions, growing EPS by $0.08. Cents. Our Arizona business contributed a $0.06 cent EPS increase. The increase was driven by similar items noted for the quarter, again, new rates at TEP, warmer weather, partially offset by higher operating costs. The impact on losses on retirement investments recognized in 2020 also favorably impacted EPS by $0.02. Cents. Central Hudson contributed two cents of the increase, driven again by rate-based growth and lower operating costs. Combined, our Western Canadian regulated utilities and ITC contributed a six-cent EPS increase, driven by rate-based growth. At our other electric segment, higher sales in the Caribbean and rate-based growth contributed to a two-cent increase in EPS. And our energy infrastructure segment reported higher hydroelectric production in Belize and higher volumes and margins associated with the Aiken Creek Natural Gas Storage Facility. Together, they increased EPS by one cent. As expected with our dividend reinvestment program, EPS decreased one cent due to higher weighted average shares outstanding. And lastly, a lower U.S. dollar to Canadian dollar exchange rate unfavorably impacted the results by seven cents year to date. Turning to slide 15, during the quarter we were active in the debt capital markets with over $1 billion in long-term debt raised at attractive rates. Debt issued at Fortis Inc. mainly refinanced maturing debt, while our regulated utilities issued debt in support of their capital expenditure programs. More recently, ITC priced $150 million notes, U.S., of which half were actually green notes. With our recent debt issuance coupled with approximately $4 billion available on our credit facilities, we are in a strong liquidity position supporting our capital plan. And now for an update on our ongoing regulatory proceedings. In June 2021, ITC filed comments in conjunction with the Supplemental Notice of Proposed Rulemaking, or NOPR, on incentives. As you may recall, FERC is proposing to eliminate the 50 basis points Regional Transmission Organization, or RTO, ROE adder for utilities, like ITC, that have been RTO members for more than three years. In its reply comments, ITC maintained that FERC's proposal is counter to current policy goals to encourage investment in transmission and transition to a cleaner energy future. ITC also highlighted that participation in an RTO provides customers with significant benefits that far outweigh the cost, and the current proposal would discourage ongoing efforts to retain and grow RTOs. A time frame has not been established for FERC to issue a final rule, and any impacts would be prospective. In New York, settlement discussions are ongoing in Central Hudson's general rate application, and we do still expect a decision later this year. Earlier this year, the British Columbia Utilities Commission initiated a generic cost of capital proceeding for all regulated utilities in BC. Next steps include the BCUC issuing a report with a regulatory timetable, including when Fortis BC will file evidence. And lastly, in conjunction with the expiration of Fortis Alberta's current performance-based rate-making, or PBR, term ending in 2022, 
The Alberta Utilities Commission, or AUC, confirmed that Fortis Alberta will return to a third PBR term beginning in 2024, following the completion of a cost of service rebasing in 2023. The AUC has initiated a new proceeding to consider the design of the third PBR term. That concludes my remarks, and I'll now turn the call back to David. Thank you, Jocelyn. To conclude, our utilities are performing well, positioning us to deliver on our capital and rate-based growth objectives for the remainder of the year. And with the progress we made in 2020 to reduce our already low carbon footprint, we are excited to be part of the solution to transition North America to a cleaner energy future. With the combination of our high quality ESG profile, five-year growth outlook, and 6% dividend growth guidance through 2025, we have a balanced, low-risk value proposition with opportunities to extend growth for the foreseeable future. I will now turn the call back over to Stephanie. Thank you, David. This concludes the presentation. At this time, we'd like to open the call to address questions from the investment community. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, we will now conduct the question and answers period. If you would like to now register a question, please press the star followed by the one on your telephone. If your question has been answered and you would like to withdraw your registration, please press the pound sign. If you are using a speakerphone, please lift your handset before entering your request. And we kindly request you to speak loudly and slowly to ensure all participants can hear your questions. One moment, please, for the first question. Did you know a 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? I'm Kat mother of three, and founder of Ritual. When I was four months pregnant, I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested for heavy metals, and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at ritual.com slash podcast. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Our first question comes from the line of Maurice Choi with RBC Capital Markets. Thanks, Phyllis, um, and good morning, everyone. Um, just a quick first question on ITC and transmission investments. Um, I know that back in the Q1 call, uh, you mentioned that visibility on initial projects could come as early as this year. And obviously, during this past quarter, there have been a a lot of announcements from the FERC aimed at progressing transmission development. And uh, David, you mentioned in your prepared remarks, uh, there's obviously an re encouraging recognition of the importance of these investments. So I wonder if uh, you could provide us an update on your view of timing with regards to this visibility, uh, as well as uh, any changes to the size uh, of these opportunities. Yeah, Maurice, uh, thanks for that question. It's, it's obviously the the question that we're all trying to answer as quickly as possible, we're seeing a lot, I mean, a, a lot of positive uh, indications from FERC uh, related to trying, to trying to remove some of the obstacles to uh, the rapid development of transmission that's going to be needed to interconnect the renewables for the goals that uh, the administration down here in the U.S. has. Um, that, now, that being said, it still has the process that has to be, that has to be gone through, and particularly from a MISO uh, perspective and their uh, long-range transmission plan, uh, there's been no update to those kind of later this year, sort of October timeframe for that initial list of projects to, to come out, and then, you know, even potentially a, 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 an approval of those by the MISO board um, in December. But, you know, those, those timeframes are, you know, obviously, uh, you know, a bit up in the air. Um, I, I, I can't think that they can accelerate them too fast, even with all the positive momentum around uh, FERC. It's still going to take some time to, to, in essence, punch through the, all, the, all the details and all the planning that's required to, to put those projects together. 
and maybe just a follow up to that and given you mentioned of you know October slash December and earlier on the call you mentioned that the Lake Erie connector uh, you know the ISO could go back to the government by the end of this year as you approach your five-year update plan this fall how, how do you see your visibility in, in being able to provide us with you know updated capex plans or or do we need to wait for more announcements from from these parties before we could get a more definitive list yeah we're, we're going to need some more information before we can start laying um, these investments in to, to be honest we we really want to make sure that we maintain credibility uh, with you all so that when we put when we put capital in our budget you know that it's that it's coming that it's real um, so we we will need to see some visibility on Lake Erie connector and through the MISO planning process before we're going to be able to put those dollars into um, you know a five-year capital plan so we that that's that's kind of our that, that's that's our thing we we want to be as transparent um, and and as credible as we possibly can so you know we can throw out ranges but those ranges can't make it into a capital plan because um, we, we really think that that has to has to show you all what we really honestly believe is going to be there so um, it will probably take a little more time. We are actually thinking about what exactly is the right timing for that capital plan, or you know, you re re release one and then maybe update it later. But that's uh, that's something that we're still still thinking through. Great. And just to finish off um, on something that's very exciting: um, proposed tax changes in Canada and the U.S., uh, specifically the interest deductibility limits in Canada and minimum tax in the U.S. Uh, any color or any update on either of those fronts? Yeah, Maurice. I think the minimum tax in the U.S. seems to not uh, be a concern for Fortis now because we're going to fall under the threshold for a, the size that uh, it relates to because it applies to the bigger bigger companies. Uh, in Canada, yeah, there's, we don't have visibility just yet on the interest deductibility limit. And again, this is really a cash flow thing because it will limit the amount of interest you can deduct in any one year, but you can carry it forward. Um, and I know that there's certainly considerable effort in Canada, which we are a part of, to have discussions with the government so that they fully understand that you know, we're a pretty capital-intensive company. We're, our capital structure is regulated. We have to spend a lot of investments uh, to keep the grid reliable and safe and, and certainly with the clean energy investments as well. So there's, there's definitely discussions being had so that uh, everyone fully understands the necessity for investments in this sector as well. So uh, it, it's still early days, I do believe. Great. Thank you very much. Our next question comes from the line of Ben Pham with BMO. Hi, thanks. Good morning. I uh, had a, a couple of questions on uh, your BC utility. Would would love an update on on where you are on the RMG side of things. If any discussions with wood fiber and on LNG, and then also on utility LNG. Like how's how's the regulatory uh, advancements going? Sure, Ben. Uh, yeah, that, that, it's it's always uh, a lot of opportunities out there in Forest, BC. Such a such a great uh, gas business, and really looking across the full uh, spectrum of things that, that they can do to be, you know, right in the in the heart of the conversation around reducing greenhouse gases. Um, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna actually kick this over to uh, Roger Delantonio since we have him on the line, and he'll give you uh, a much more uh, detailed and, and better uh, view of that than I can. Roger. Uh, thanks, Dave. Uh, good morning, Ben. Can you hear me okay? Yep, we can hear you. Great. Yeah, so on the first question, RNG, uh, we're making good progress uh, uh, up to uh, the end of Q2. Uh, we've got 22 uh, contracts approved by the BCUC for uh, RNG for a total of about seven petajoules, and we have a couple more contracts. Uh, waiting approval, which will bring us over eight petajoules. Uh, so, you know, two years into our uh, target by 2030, we're making good progress on the acquisition of uh, renewable natural gas. So that's going well. Uh, wood fiber, uh, nothing new in the quarter. We're continuing to uh, work with uh, wood fiber, and uh, they're still planning to uh, have a definitive view on uh, timing of the project uh, uh, later this year. 
And then uh, your last question on Tilbury, uh, the environmental assessment process. Uh, earlier this year, we filed the initial project description or preliminary. Uh, we are in the what's called the early engagement phase, <clears throat> uh, doing the stakeholder consultation with various uh, stakeholders. Uh, we'll take that feedback and hopefully be in a position to file a detailed project description with the uh, Environmental Assessment Office uh, in Q3. All right, great. Thanks for a pulse answer. And, and maybe on the my second question on the energy infrastructure results, uh, you know that uh, police production and storage margins they can have improved. Uh, would you characterize Q2 results as as normal seasonality for the quarter? And now you're you're back to the hydro long term means and the storage is the seasonality you typically expect. So Ben, with respect to the results for B call for the quarter, it was clearly impacted by rain, right? So we had lower production in Q2 than what I would say is typical. Now that fluctuates, right? Because it fluctuates with the amount of rain and timing of rain. So, but I would say that it was low relative to history. And uh, so just, just a difficult one to predict, obviously. Hey, hey Ben, I want to add something because I think uh, not, not on the B call, but on, on Roger's conversation because I can't believe neither he nor I had mentioned uh, the fact that, you know, while we mentioned that the greenhouse gas reduction regulations um, have allowed for an increased amount of RNG um, slash hydrogen uh, in, in the systems and for the utilities to, you know, actually contract for it or, or produce it themselves. But we never threw out the number, the, you know, what's, what's out there is the possibility. So it, it's, it, it sets the limit at 15%, um, which for uh, BC is 30 PJ. So when you looked at those numbers that Roger was talking about and having the contracts up to eight, you know, we, we still have a, a, a lot of a growth opportunity uh, going forward uh, to fill in that remaining 22 PJs over time. Okay, thanks, Ray. And, uh, and Justin, Justin, more of all, uh, so production below long-term means still. Uh, what about the, the storage spreads that are within the, the range of seasonality you've typically seen in the past? I'm not quite sure how to answer that, Ben, because we've seen it fluctuate, right? Because I know in 2019, we had, there were some drought conditions in 2019, and I think the, the total year was less than 100 gigawatt hours, but yet in 2020, we went back over 200 gigawatt hours. So, uh, so far this year, I think we're up somewhere around 79. So depending on the last half of the year, the rain, I do believe, comes later, say, August, July, August. So um, that will that will sort of set us up for knowing how the the full year is going to look. Okay, I'll leave it there. Thank you. Thanks, Beth. Your next question comes from the line of Rob Hope with Scotia Bank. Yep. Good morning, everyone. I uh, just want to follow up on the uh, on the Lake Erie connector. Can you just kind of outline kind of what discussions are happening now? Like it seems like it was rather. Um, positive and forceful message that the minister, uh, you know, uh, directed the bureaucrats to, to start negotiations there, especially given that, you know, they're going to be the counterparty to that uh, project. So can you just walk us through kind of next steps on the Lake Erie project? Uh, yeah, Rob, really it is just about uh, filling out the contract negotiations. I mean, you, you start with a term sheet and you start passing that back and forth um, and you get, you know, obviously the cost allocation, um, or the, the returns that we need to, to see on our investments, um, the, contract, the contract terms, the ongoing O&M. It's really just a, a full term sheet of, of, uh, of things to bring in. Obviously, uh, how you look at and share risk both on a, on a pre-construction and construction basis and an operation basis. So it, it, it's, it's pretty much a tip-to-tail negotiation. Um, it was a great positive signal uh, from the government that they, you know, thought that this is a good project and that they uh, directed ISO to, to to enter into those contract negotiations. Um, but it's it's sort of that normal, you know, I'll say kind of normal contract negotiation process. So be a lot of turns of documents, a lot of turns of, of term sheets, and then of course then you get the lawyers involved in a lot of turns of, of documents and uh, before we get to a final deal. All right, appreciate that. And then, you know, this is a bit of a broader kind of uh, and, and longer term question. Just, 
you know, just regarding some of the challenges the U.S. electric systems had over the past, uh, we'll call it year, um, you know, we continue to see increasing demand for transmission, you know, regarding new connection and new renewables, but also kind of reinforcement of the grid as well and connecting in, you know, the various geographies there. You know, when you take a look at your system, you know, where do you see as kind of the greatest opportunity? Is it the renewable side or is it kind of the reliability and ensuring, you know, we don't see, you know, regions going dark? Yeah, that's that's a that's a great question and one one that we talk about quite a bit because you know we we do tend to focus maybe a bit too much on the flashy stuff right because the flashy stuff nowadays is all about creating a you know cleaner energy economy and future um, here in the U.S. and in, in Canada but um, that's that's just part of the story the rest of it has to be how else are we addressing the impacts of climate change and we're doing a lot of work internally. Uh, with our operations folks to evaluate the impact of climate change, you know, obviously um, much more severe weather on a going forward basis. Uh, as you electrify things, that changes everything from generation down into the distribution grid, uh, investment, uh, you know, thesis all along that entire value chain. Um, you got to strengthen uh, local grids for things like electric vehicles. Uh, so there's a lot of store in, and then oh, it, and I forgot you got to throw in you know aging infrastructure too. These you know these assets aren't getting any younger. So when you look at that full um, you know bank of investment opportunities that we have, and you go from interconnecting renewables, the transmission to get them to load, um, the distribution needs, the resiliency, the reliability, the security investments that you need around you know cybersecurity to make sure that all of that system is is now more resilient charging infrastructure, all of that good stuff. Uh, I can't tell you which is going to win the race, but it's, it's going to be a, a pretty big feast. Now, the, the trick will be is managing all those investments so that we have affordable rates at the tail end. And that's where the things like electrification, electric vehicles, uh, industry, et cetera, will, will help out because the more that we electrify the economies, the bigger, basically, the, the bigger the pie is to spread out those costs. And when you look at it all together like that, um, I, I can't. I would have to say that the renewables um, and the, the transmission to interconnect them will be a big piece. Um, and I mean the renewables, like in Arizona, and the transmission to interconnect them at ITC will be the two largest pieces. But the rest of that will fall across every one of our utilities um, in varying degrees. Thank you. You better up. Your next question comes from the line of Michael Sullivan with Wolf Research. Hey, everyone. Good morning. Morning, Michael. First question was just on. Um, hey, good morning, Dave. Uh, just first question was I think last quarter you, you guys alluded to um, maybe some some higher capex in in 2021 is helping to offset the the FX headwinds you're seeing. Can can you just give a little more color on how that's shaping up? Yeah, it's 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 a bit of cats and dogs to be honest. It's some some that are up across the and you know a little here and there. So it it's not anything big. It's nothing that we could really point to and say you know it's a you know 500 million dollar project that's, that just dropped in. Um, you know some of it's timing shifting around, um, and other uh, others is uh, you know some slightly uh, you know some smaller new projects. But yeah, all nits and nats. Okay, great. And also wanted to get a sense of conviction and where this FERC NOPER on, on RTO adders ultimately ends up, just uh, given the latest meeting and some of the commentary there. It seemed like you guys thought you had a pretty good case, but just curious if your thinking there has changed at all. Well, I still think we have a, a really good case and a really good argument. I, the, the arguments are absolutely strong. I, that doesn't necessarily, you know, maybe sway <laughs> so someone who's got a, a very, you know, specific opinion on, on the issue. But the, the arguments are clear. Uh, the, the first one is the RTOs. We need we need them bigger, and we need more of them. Um, and in order and, and the and the costs associated with um, the the small amount of RTO adders that get passed through to the customers are dwarfed in comparison. To the savings and the benefits that, the, that those same customers get by having that RTO there, having the coordination of transmission, uh, planning, development, et cetera, as well as the access to the market. So the R RTOs 
have to be bigger and there has to be more of them, and then you got to interconnect them. Um, this this is a, a bit contrary to that. Um, I have to say that probably the other bigger issue, well, I, I wouldn't say that, that there, is a, there is a big issue. The big issue here is the fact that um, the Federal Power Act of 2005 actually requires requires uh, an incentive to be in an RTO. So th th I think this, this, legal, um, th this legal issue will have to run its course um, because it, it does seem from a philosophical standpoint that you know, several of the commissioners just don't like that adder and want to look at other ways of incentivizing transmission, which they're, remember, this is just one of a whole laundry list of additional adders that are part of the original NOPR. So this is just addressing a change in the treatment of that RTO adder, which in the additional NOPR, is, as you well know, was actually recommending that it goes from 50 basis points to 100 basis points. So now going to zero um, is obviously a big change, but the thing, the, the 100 basis points around reliability and another 100 basis points around new technology, 50 basis points around um, efficiency investments and from a transmission perspective, those are all still part of the, the bigger order as well. But it will be interesting uh, to see how um, the legal aspects of, you know, someone saying, well, we're all saying it, which is, hey, this doesn't comport with the legislation that's supposed to require or that does require uh, an RTO adder for, for being a, a participant. Great. Thank, thanks for the color there. And my last one, I just wanted to check in on. New York and, and the COVID recovery there, is, is it still too late to kind of squeeze that into the, some of the settlement negotiations? And should we think of that as on a separate track? Um, yeah, just an update on, on the process there. Yeah, we're, we're still in those settlement negotiations and, you know, we're, we're, we're hopefully getting towards the tail end of those. But, yeah, it, it's, uh, there, there's, there's no real, um, you know, clear path on, on how those costs will get recovered and, you know, from, from the COVID perspective, obviously, we, we, we immediately, you know, we wrote those down so we don't have anything, um, you know, on the books related to those, those uh, COVID costs now. Um, and if, if, if in some future proceeding those come back, that's great. Um, and we think we have a good argument on why they should come back. And we also have good historical precedents on why some of that should come back. But we don't, we don't have any visibility uh, as to how much of that or when. Great. Thanks. Thanks so much. Thanks, Michael. Your next question comes from the line of Mark Jarvie with CIBC. Thanks. Uh, good morning, everyone. Um, first question is just on the, uh, the proposed clean energy standard. Um, who knows whether or not that kind of goes forward, but just wondering what the implications might be for I guess probably TEP, um, most importantly. Um, obviously, it seems like it would be positive to help decarbonize that utility even faster, but just wondering you know, how that impacts rate base and you know, sort of limitations or challenges or anything sort of to come about with that proposal. Yeah, the, so the, the clean energy standard, um, if it gets passed from a federal regulation standpoint, um, is, is that what you're talking about, the, the federal one? Yeah, Mark? yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, I, I think it's, it's actually about in within a couple years of the Arizona Corporation Commission's uh, proposed rules right now on their renewable portfolio standards. So it's 50 in 2030 versus 50 in 2032, which is the Arizona standard. And, and frankly, we, in our, in our current path that we have laid out in our integrated resource plan, we'll meet both of those. Um, so it, what, what we're really looking for um, from, a, from an acceleration standpoint um, at TEP to you know, have the possibility of maybe accelerating some of those renewable investments that we see later that are closer to a coal plant closure to maybe bring those forward and use a little less coal. Keep the capacity. Don't get me wrong. We're going to need that capacity till that until we have those shutdown dates. Um, but we might be able to reduce the energy by feathering in more renewables over time. Um, but uh, you know, we're, it, it will all be—it it will be a cost um, conversation, and, and that's really what we're waiting for—is to see what are in you know some of the rest of these um, uh, infrastructure bills, et cetera, that might reduce the cost of renewables. Uh, obviously, some of the things are going the, the other way on inflations and in, in, in materials that may uh, increase the cost of renewables. So we have a lot of that to see before we can accelerate it, uh, and we you know, we we definitely are really cognizant of 
the overall rate impact. We got this great story on our timeline of how we're trading those, you know, the OPEX and fuel costs at fuel or at, at uh, coal plants for investment and return uh, on infrastructure for um, solar, wind, and storage. And we, we want to make sure that we're keeping those lined up so that we have a nice, smooth, low-cost trajectory like we see in our integrated resource plan. So, so if I just listen to your comments, you know, it's more on the margin than having really a material impact given the fact that there are some similar alignments between the federal target and the state targets. Yeah, it's it's yeah those the, yeah those the the difference on on from a clean energy standard isn't isn't going to be much. It's really about whether or not we can accelerate it because you know we've talked about this and I got to drop this number again because there's a lot of a lot of renewables. We just brought on a 250 megawatt wind facility. We just brought in 100 megawatt PPA with 30 megawatts of storage um, from from a solar perspective down there in Arizona. But we still got 2,000 megawatts of renewables and 1,400 megawatts of storage to go before we can get to that 2035 goal. Um, so lots of lots of uh, investment opportunity, and the vast uh, majority is past that five-year plan that we are talking about as we sit here today. So we're trying to figure out how you know what, where where that comes in. Is it in the, in that year six that will be in our next five-year plan, um, or is there also the opportunity to accelerate it? Just as a as a reminder, the first big coal plant that we have shutting down is in uh, 2027. So we got to make investments to be able to support that shutdown. Got it. And then just coming back to Lake Erie, I mean, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves too much, but when you think about that that project, like from you talked about risk management and whatnot, and just return perspective, like how do you think about how much has to be contracted, sort of on day one? Is it is it that the contracted portion has to hit a certain IRR return or a return objective, and then you leave yourself maybe a bit open for some upside, or just maybe how you're thinking about that in terms of returns and risk and um, exposure to any sort of merchant small exposure? Yeah, this is all one big deal. No merchant exposure. One customer signed, sealed, and delivered with a bow. <laughs> so it's oh. us and the ISO. They'll be our sole contractor, and they'll take all of it. That's the that's the current contract negotiation. Um, that we're that we're in right now. Got it. Okay. Thanks for clarifying. Your next question comes from the line of Andrew Kusk with Credit Suisse. Thanks. Good morning. I, I guess the first question is for Jocelyn, and it really revolves around the various green financing initiatives we see, whether they be bonds or credit facilities with a bunch of sort of adders in them or deductors, depending on how one wants to look at it. How do you think about just green financing initiatives with effectively a regulated asset base, regulated doctrines, and just the capital structure? Like, what's the interplay about these initiatives that you could explore to a greater degree or, or not? So if I think if I hear you correctly, Andrew, you're just asking us about the perspective on our green financings going forward in our regulated utilities, I think you're going to see uh, a lot of it. I mean, we've already started to see the uptick. ITC recently was our most recent, and that's around, you know, interconnecting the renewable um, uh, resources to the transmission grid. Um, and we're also seeing, I think the, the phrase now is called the greenium, right? We're actually seeing some pricing uh, with this. Uh, I do suspect uh, we're having conversations right across all of our utilities about segregating their capital to identify where and how they're investing to make the, the grid greener and stronger, even from a reliability perspective. It's all, it's all the same. Uh, so we're just going to see more of it, and uh, you're going to see it into our credit facilities, um, and and I do think they will evolve a little more uh, with respect to pricing, but so far we are seeing some positive pricing and investors are wanting, uh, are wanting us to do this. So yeah, it's definitely a trend, uh, trend for more going forward. That, that's great, and then maybe just as a follow-up to that comment, you know, given the fact that there's investor appetite and you know, a green premium uh, where you know, effectively rate payers are going to benefit. Do you see this starting to build into regulatory doctrines and regulatory apps in the future where you know, this is basically going to be required across the board and expected? 
I don't think it would be required, Andrew, but, I mean, ultimately, anything we do for, to reduce costs will ultimately be for the benefit of our customers in rate making over time. And that's the way that the regulated rate making works. I think if we have utilities that are not doing this, yes, they could get asked by their regulator as to why they're not doing it, because this is uh, a market where we could potentially get a greenium for the benefit of customers. So, yeah, no, I, I, I see it as no, I don't see the regulators demanding that we do it, but we, we better have some good reasons as to why we're not doing it uh, if, we're, if we're not in this space, which I don't see. I do see we'll be in this space. Okay, that's very helpful. And then one final one, if I may, and it just comes back to the RNG. You know, obviously, you've gone a long way on the RNG that you've got under contract and signed off by the BCUC. Uh, still a way to go. You, you, how do you think those efforts really unfold you know, over the next several years? Is the, the commitment and the requirement is a big number, and how does that match up with really prudency doctrines? Yeah, that's, that, that, that's exactly the plan that the folks over in uh, BC are working on is trying to figure out, um, you know, the, the cost curve of, of these investments. And, you know, there is, a, as we've mentioned, I think uh, hopefully like three or four times already, it's balancing uh, the cost with the transition to renewable resources. And that's something that they've got uh, right in the center of their playbook. And they're looking for the opportunities um, for additional, whether it's RNG or hydrogen, and making sure that the blend of what we do and how we put it in and at what pace um, is uh, suitable to the regulators and, of course, eventually our customers. So that, that, that is, you know, part of the calculus for sure. Okay. That's great. Thank you very much. Your next question comes from the line of David Cazeta with Raymond James. Thanks. Uh, morning, everyone. Um, my first question here, just just on ITC, I'm interested. Um, any comments you have on on how you prepare for, I guess, a potentially, I guess, increased scale of opportunities going forward with the uh, with the reforms to electric transmission planning that FERC is rolling out, and and I guess Lake Erie going forward, potentially multiple larger projects. Um, do you need to do you need to staff up in advance of that opportunity, or is it still a little premature at this point? Yeah, let me let me. Uh, well, first off, good, good morning, David. Good to good to hear from you. I'm going to kick that one right over to to Linda, who's uh, as you know, our the CEO of ITC, and and she'll give you a good view on that. Linda. Yeah, good 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 morning, David. Good question. Um, yeah, look, I think it's um, you know we've already taken some steps. You know what I would say, is some sort of realignment, if you will, within our uh, planning group to. Um, you know, I would say create, if you will, a, a new uh, subset department, if you will, of planning to to look at some of the broader regional, interregional opportunities. Uh, so certainly, there's some internal um, realignment to put more priority, more focus um, on on these anticipated outcomes. Uh, but by and large, I mean we're not at a point yet where we're staffing up. Um, you know, we at this point, you know, we've been working. I would say hand in hand, as I've said before, you know, you know, you know, transmission has arrived in terms of its attention and focus. Um, much of what is being discussed and talked about today is sort of in line and consistent with where ITC's, you know, priorities and focus have been all along. So a lot of this isn't um, sort of new or new revelations. Um, you know, much of this is, you know, many of the. You know the you know the studies um, that have been performed um, you know are consistent I think in directionally with where we're going. So uh, not at this point. Certainly to the extent that you know when specific projects materialize, um, you know we you know our our engineering uh, folks, our our line design, our engineering folks, we work uh, hand in hand with uh, some major uh, you know outside outfits uh, consultants. Uh, engineering firms to assist, and so you know we feel as though we're in pretty good stead with some of the internal realignments, um, as well as you know kind of all along where our, our focus has been. So I think we are, um, you know, we're obviously I think feeling pretty comfortable with where we're at and how we're going to get there. Certainly on the Lake Erie project, um, you know, at you know when Lake Erie I think sort of becomes you know closer to reality. Um, certainly, there will be further realignment um, and, uh, you know, potentially additional staffing and resources that are necessary to, 
to assist with the design, certainly the construction, but most importantly the ongoing operation and maintenance um, of that project. But uh, that's uh, certainly th those plans have been identified, but certainly we haven't gotten to the point where we have executed on that. That's a great color. Thank you, Linda. Appreciate that. Um, yep. And maybe just one other uh, follow-up for me, just on the topic of um, cost inflation on renewables as it relates to the rollout in Arizona. I understand that um, anecdotally um, some people in the market are suggesting a 10 to 15 percent increase in, in the cost of solar and you know, some wind turbine suppliers have also suggested price hikes are coming. Um, would would you say that that's uh, broadly consistent with what you're seeing, and are are you are you actively procuring equipment uh, today that is the, where you're seeing a little bit of cost creep there? No, to to to, to be honest, uh, David, we're not because um, we don't have anything that we're basically developing right now. The the projects that I mentioned, also Grande, and then this uh, Wilmot, Wilmot um, Energy Center, one of the, the latter was a PPA, so we had. We, we weren't uh, involved or engaged in that, and also Grande's been on the books and has been, you know, obviously planned out for years and, and was being constructed and finished construction before any of these cost increases hit. Um, so as we go forward, though, we, and we don't have anything really in the immediate queue, so when we go forward and start looking at the timeline and start putting out, um, you know, RFPs, you know, maybe next year or whenever uh, to start looking for um, – for uh, projects over the next several years, we might see it. Um, but we're, yeah, it, it's the anecdotal stories that you're hearing as well, and that we're seeing in others, in, in some of the other supply um, situations that we have. That's great. Thanks, David. I'll, I'll get back in the queue. Okay. Thanks. Our next question comes from the line of Matthew Weeks with IA Capital Markets. for uh, taking my questions. Uh, just focusing on, on the earnings from the Caribbean, and it looked like it was really quite a strong quarter, quite a strong rebound there. Uh, you know, in, in the MDNA comments, uh, you talked about uh, sort of the recovery in tourism that's happening and then rate-based growth as well. Uh, were there sort of any other impacts uh, that you saw there in the quarter, uh, you know, for one? And then for two, I was wondering if you'd be able to comment as we go through Q3 here now on the general outlook that you're saying, seeing and, and the recovery in the Caribbean. Yeah, Matthew, I think, you know, clearly we are seeing improvements over Q2 of last year, but that was, uh, you know, COVID was pretty uh, intense during Q2 of 2020. But even throughout 2020, you know, tourism was obviously impacted with the borders closed. But, you know, here we have it now, Turks in particular, the borders are wide open. Um, and, but we're also, even though the borders are not open uh, for CUC, they, uh, they are seeing an uptick in the construction uh, market. So there's a lot of new hotels being built. So there's a lot of um, probably build-up, right, for, for the tourism activity. So we're seeing it in Turks. We're seeing the construction activity in the Caribbean. There's expectation this is going to continue. Clearly, we, we keep watching what everyone else is watching with respect to, you know, vaccination rollouts and the variants and the like. But right now, we are seeing some positive uptick in those uh, two utilities. And to go forward, I suspect that, you know, that, that trend is expected to continue. Or we're hoping it's going to continue, right? But we're watching it. Okay, thank you. That's it for me. I'll uh, turn the call back. Thanks, Matthew. Our next question comes from the line of Darius Lozny with Bank of America. Hey, good morning. Thank you for taking my question. Just wanted to ask uh, quickly about um, how you're thinking about resource adequacy in Arizona. I know uh, California is uh, taking some steps of late to potentially limit exports, and just curious how that's informing your, your long-term planning as you think about Arizona. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely informing our, our long-term plan and the timing of, of our um, coal plant shutdowns. As I mentioned uh, earlier on the call, that you know we're we're not shutting down anything that provides uh, dispatchable capacity before we have a system in place that we know can replace it. And you know we've lived through a summer with it, so that that's kind of I think our, our general principle. 
Um, and, and we did take additional actions even before this summer to make sure that we were able to get uh, additional capacity that we can use to serve our customers. And in the event that we have, you know, higher than uh, normal or, or higher than our, our historical peak load, um, like we actually did set a new peak in, in June and, and made it through that because of, the, because of all the preps that the team did uh, in Arizona to make sure that we had those additional resources. Um, so that, that's something obviously on, on the front of mind. Uh, there's been some, you know, regulatory filings and, uh, from, from California that have, in essence, are, you know, precluding um, energy that flows through Arizona to continue on, or flows through California to continue to Arizona. Um, which we were uh, obviously very uh, distressed about and have, uh, are, are uh, actually asking for a, a rehearing from FERC on that. But it, it's a regional situation, and we have to look at it like that from a regional perspective. And we have to, we, we just have to make sure that, um, you know, our state and in particular our utility is doing everything we can to protect our customers, but also, you know, looking. Broader, and I think this summer was a good indication of that, where um, California brought on a lot more resources, um, ones that were shut down, some that were going to shut down. There has been, you know, a lot of battery uh, installations out there as well. So I think this is on front of mind, and and uh, of every um, utility CEO across the, well, in, in, in essence across uh, North America, because we've seen weather extremes, particularly from a heat perspective, uh, in almost. Uh, you know, every area of North America over the past two years. Um, and if you haven't had one, it's coming for you next. So everyone's got to make sure that they're doing what they can to, to beef up those, the, the capacity and the, the ability to serve that load. And frankly, one of the best ways of doing that, because it doesn't all happen at once, is building out those RTOs and then interconnecting them with transmission. Um, and so that's, that's another key uh, conversation that has to fall into that bigger, broader um, picture around transmission. Okay, great. Thank you for that detailed answer. Um, one more, if I can, and this is just on the quarter. The, the two cents drag that you guys reported at the parent, um, I, I, I think I heard at the opening remarks that some of that was like state tax considerations. Uh, is that a, a something that you expect to carry forward in Qs three and four, or is it perhaps more of a timing item between quarters? Just I'm curious how you think about that for the balance of the year. Yeah, no, that's more of a 2021 issue. So it, following the consolidated state tax, which we elected to do uh, back in 2018, it's a benefit. It's just a lower benefit in 2021. And that's because we had a, a change up in our regional sales mix, and some of that is obviously driven by COVID. So while it's still a benefit, it's just a lower benefit in 2021. Um, and that, Two cents is all we expect year over year, um, but yeah, so it's a 2021 thing, not expecting it for, for go forward. Great. Thank you very much. Uh, I'll turn it back. Your next question comes from the line of Patrick Kinney with National Bank Financial. Yeah, good morning. Uh, just wanted to check in on the uh, the BC wildfire situation and I guess confirm that you guys haven't experienced any significant damage um, to your electric infrastructure that you know might require some near-term capital to repair. Um, or I guess worst-case scenario, any uh, any liabilities that that you might be concerned about? Yeah, th th actually, thanks for that question, uh, Patrick. There, that we obviously have ha had some severe uh, weather events across our footprint, whether it's whether it's heat, fires, drought, I mean, flooding, we've, we've had it all just uh, in the first couple months of the summer. But I'm going to turn that over to Roger Delantonio because he, he gives us uh, daily updates on that, and he'll be able to fill you in. Uh, thanks, uh, Patrick. Yeah, so uh, the BC situation uh, still under a state of emergency. I think there's more than 250 active wildfires. Uh, just quickly on the, on the gas side of the business, uh, nothing really directly impacting though we are on alert on the electric side of the business. The area of concern right now for us is in the uh, South Okanagan around the Soyuz Oliver area. We have two lines that have been impacted. Uh, we have lost transmission structures uh, just recently uh, but because of the wildfire fighting service we haven't gone in and be able to do a, a full assessment. Uh, we do expect there will be uh, quite a few repairs 
to those structures. Uh, no real impact on customers at this point. We're able to backfeed through uh, other means, uh, but the situation is fluid. Uh, the repair will take some time to assess. We don't see any uh, liability issues. Uh, we do have uh, Z-factor uh, treatment or exogenous factor treatment for things like this in our rate uh, structure um, to the extent that we do have significant repairs to make. Okay, that's great. I appreciate the update. Thanks, Patrick. And thank you. As there are no further questions, I would like to turn the call back to Ms. Amimo for any closing remarks. Thank you, Phyllis. We have nothing further at this time. Thank you for participating in our second quarter 2021 results call. Please contact Investor Relations should you need anything further. Thank you for your time and have a great day. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.